Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. Nineteen eighties. Today we are still in nineteen eighty-three. Some of the things that happened. On January 31st, a new law in the UK required drivers and front seat passengers to wear seatbelts. McDonald's introduced chicken McNuggets and bite-sized chicken pieces soon became a global phenomenon. The average annual income in the US was $21,070. The average price of a new house was $82,600 and the median price for an existing home was $70,300. A couple things here that just jump out um the chicken nugget i mean i'm surprised the chicken nugget came after bud light not gonna lie it was probably directly a result of Bud Light. i feel like yes um so that that's that's crazy uh the seatbelt law because California has had it since the 80s, I believe. So I feel like they're very much... I, I grew up with it in the early 90s, so that's a thing. Yeah. But house prices very quickly. If the average income of a person was 21 grand, yeah. you, were, you were basically... You were buying a house four times what you made. If you're making 50000 right now, you would be able to buy a $200,000 house... You cannot buy a two thousand dollars house in any major city at all. No, no, it's one of the big indicators. Yeah, that's the thing, honestly. So when I was doing, when I was looking at this for, to prep, that was the thing that jumped out at me too. I was like, man, what would my salary have to be to justify my your half million dollar home, your mansion? Uh, uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's not even. Uh, it's not there yet. I mean, I got the cheap. I got the cheap side, and I still would need to like scooch my salary up significantly. You know. But the uh, that's why I like that outdated rule. Like people give you that whole rule of thumb of like, oh, you shouldn't pay more, you know, and you should get a starter house. And it's like, yeah, but where, dog? Like, am I supposed to live out in the freaking country? Well, you am know, I supposed to move to Idaho. There's this YouTuber that's renovating a house that he bought in in Texas. It, it it was in pretty bad shape. In bad shape. Okay, he bought it for like sixty grand, seventy grand. In like Lubbock, Texas, like you know, not even like I've, one of the major I've been four. To Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> why? I don't know, Gabe. Why have? Because I've been there because of a, as a trucker. I don't know why you would have been to Lubbock. So during my uh, cross country trip, when I was like sixteen, that the family took, there was a friend of my mom's who lived in Lubbock. Specifically, ah, okay. Specifically, so like that's the only reason I knew what a Lubbock, Texas was. A uh, Lubbock. We went there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. I still don't know what it's named for, but. I'm sure it's, I have been there. Uh, I'm sure if we if we um, Daniel Lubbock, proud Texan. Oh, I was going worse. I was like, oh, some <laughs> some Southern oh. general <laughs> from the oh, Civil no. War. <laughs> I think they like to be called proud Texans. Uh, but yeah, no, that that's a uh, that's pretty impressive though. That the fact that you know, I, I mean, minimum wage now gets you what twenty five to thirty grand a year. Yeah, I probably. You know. Um, the fact that the the average household was that not that far away from now means that for a new home, yeah, eighty two thousand, like uh, a new build. Yeah, no, no. Insane. Um, very, very quickly, Gabe. Before we continue, I apologize. 
I just had to. I just. I was curious, right? Had to know. Had to know. Uh, Lubbock is a city in northwest Texas known as the birthplace of rock and roll legend Buddy Holly. Okay. Yeah. Let's see here where it's named after, because now I'm just curious. It's not um, Daniel Lubbock. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real sad. Oh, here we go. In 1867, the land that would become Lubbock was the heart of Comancheria, the shifting domain controlled by the Comanche. Lubbock County was founded in 1876. It was named after Thomas Saltus Lubbock, former Texas Ranger and brother of Francis Lubbock, governor of Texas during the Civil War. You know, I literally almost said Texas Ranger, too, because it just seemed like the thing you name things after down there, and I should have gone with my instinct. Uh, here's where I'm right, Gabe. Oh, no. Thomas Saltis Lubbock, born 1817, died 1862, was a Texas Ranger and colonel in the Confederate Army during the American Civil War. Oh, he just didn't make the, uh, make the cut for general. <laughs> almost, on the cusp. Died at 44 years of age. Oh, the ripe old age. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wow. Jesus. Uh, man, when you go deep into this stuff, so then I'm looking at his death, right? It says he died in 62. Then it says he was in the Confederate States Army, years of service, 61 to 62. And I'm like, wait a uh -oh. minute. <laughs> he died in 62, and he was a colonel, death and legacy. Terno Terry was killed at the Battle of Rollett Station, known as the Battle of Woodsonville in Kentucky. Should have stayed in Texas, my man. On January 8th, 1862, yeah, Lubbock, then sick in bed in the Bowling Green Hospital with typhoid fever, was promoted to colonel and advanced to command of the regiment. He died the next day. Thomas Saltis Lubbock is buried in Greenwood Cemetery, Houston, Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hate being right, but damn, does it feel good to be right. All right, All right. Gabe, sorry, sorry for that interruption. <laughs> no, no, it's good. That's funny. All right, births, 1983. Uh, Aziz Ansari, uh, American comedian and actor. You know, I was a huge fan of him in uh, Parks and Rec. Parks and Master Rec, of good. None, with, like, like his stand-up was really good. Master of None really showed uh, an entirely different side of his creative um uh, mind that was a, a masterful tv show it's unfortunate that season three ended up shifting focus because of what was going on with the me too movement which he was never formally a part of but he kind of got thrust into it but he actually was never a, a part of it um but no no I, I think he's a he's a very funny man i think he's he's like a comedic genius and uh, yeah, Master of None. If you haven't seen it, uh, uh, worth worth the watch. Here's here's the thing. I have, and that's the thing that most impressed me was Master of None. I didn't I didn't get so I got all the way through season one. I don't think I started season two. Is what uh, happened. Oh, first episode of season two is a masterpiece of 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 uh, of television, dude. Holy crap! Now, I I can't quite remember. Maybe I started. Maybe I didn't. I, I remember. So the episode that stuck out to me the most was the one where he has the perspective of the guy versus the girl walking home at night. Okay. And I remember watching uh, or listening to something. I don't, I don't think it might have been on NPR where he talked about that and how eye-opening that episode was for him. Because, of course, he had to get, you know, th the women involved to, like, to like get the perspectives right. 
and how watching it like that, he was like, holy shit. He's like, I, I just didn't, you know, you know, like, oh yeah, women are more, you know, susceptible more, but he didn't realize the perspective shift, like with the gap was so different and the music is perfect, you know, cause they're playing this boisterous, that boisterous, you know, like comedic music for the guys goofing around while they walk home. It's like a playground. The women, it's like that tense, you know, thriller music because it's like, is something going to happen? She's got 911 pre-dialed on the phone. The keys are like a claw. Yeah, no, uh, uh, that was a that was a great episode. I think the two that stand out for me is the first episode of season two, which I won't spoil by saying why, and the sign language episode, which I think was also in season two. Because I don't think was that in season one, the sign language one. It's been a while now. I can't. Yeah, it's an I'm entire sure. it's an entire episode with no with, spoken dialogue. With no spoken dialogue. Yeah, I don't think I it's, did. See and, that it, and surprisingly, by the way, also no subtitles. I believe. I well, no, I don't remember now. But um, but they inc- convey the meaning anyway. Yeah, incredibly well done and and hilarious. No, no, it does have subtitles. I'm sorry because of the scene that I'm remembering. That's hilarious. You needed to see what the kid was signing, what was signing, in order for you to understand why it was funny. Uh, yeah, no, no, uh, that's that. That was a really, really great show. Um, yeah, guess, yeah, it's unfortunate, like I said. Yeah, no, he was funny in Parks and, and Rec, and uh, it was sort of that manic kind of humor, like a little bit of, like Will Ferrell does. A lot, you know, it yep. reminded me a little of that. And then you're just like, okay, like it's funny, um, you know, in doses. It's funny in the right places. But uh, he did a lot. He elevated his uh, his humor and acting a lot for Master of None. I never saw his stand up either. Very good stuff, by the way. His stand up is, is very good. All right. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Henry Cavill, British actor. Oh, these immigrants taking all our jobs. Uh, I only know him from Superman, obviously, and the uh, the only other I, ne- I didn't watch The Witcher. Uh, didn't I was watch never, it, right. yeah, I was he never was excellent a, in The Witcher. Was never a fan of the of the uh, video game. I never played it, and it was, I believe, it was Mission Impossible Rogue Agent that he's in, or I think so. Or I Ghost seen Protocol. The one I think one of the two. Also yeah. very good in that. The Man from Uncle. He was pretty good in that too. Um, but I think, obviously, I think Superman, for me, he was a, a very good Superman. Yeah, uh, I most notably Superman. Uh, I remember being, uh, as a fan of the games, the books, and the show, The Witcher, um, I, I initially, I was like, ooh, like, can Superman be Geralt? And uh, the answer was yes, yes, he very much can. Um, he brought a lot to. Uh, well, he cares about it. I think is a big thing. He is um, a big. You know, he is a big gaming fan. I remember watching we, a video of him building a computer, and I was like, <laughs> in a tank top. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, what else <laughs> notably, do you build, what else do you build your computer on? Um, no, he's a uh, he's a big uh, uh, nerd. Um, there's some story he tells too of almost missing his uh, his audition for Superman because of being in a, a, a raid in World of Warcraft that went long. <laughs> Like he almost missed his appointment. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, King King of the Nerds, Henry Cavill. Um, it's I kind of understand on the one hand, like the whole break ties completely to restart the franchise kind of a thing, and DC hasn't had a, a really successful run. But like the fact that they had him announce that he's in, make his cameo in Black Adam, have the Rock hype it up, and then they're just like goodbye, was uh was rough. And the fact that in this world we have. We have the Suicide Squad that is not related to DCU. We have now um, Black Adam, thirtieth Batman. Yeah, Black Adam that technically would like be connected to the to the you know Justice League and DCU. We have Shazam that again like 
I think is connected to the DCU because the Superman like deleted. Uh, they had a cameo, but they didn't have Cavill, so they couldn't show his face. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, and then the Flash movie, which should be connected, but I've heard that they've cut out like the Wonder Woman and and uh, Superman and Batman scenes out of it. So it's like, you know, like what do you? Do? They're a mess. Yeah, like I feel like it's okay to do the the Else Worlds. You know, the I think that's what it was called. When I was a huge comic book reader, DC would release a yearly um, catalog for each character called Elseworlds. But it was like mm. a, it was like a, a annual what if, where they would do what if this happened? What if like it wasn't uh, Kyle or um, uh, it, you know the guy who received the green uh, Hal Jordan? What if it wasn't Hal Jordan who got it, but somebody else type of thing? And they would do that. Elseworlds was a great storyline. It was basically the multiverse, but back for them, you know, before they started doing their own fucking retelling and redrawing and the new Fifty Two and all that stuff. Um, but no, yeah, no, it's unfortunate because he he is one of those people that loves the work that he does and he promotes the hell out of it. So you're just losing a very you're losing quite a few strong individuals that would do a lot of promoting for you. Yeah, who uh, who had their own fan base kind of carry yeah. in too. So uh, by by also by snubbing those people you you know people may be more fans of them than they are of dc movies i mean i i am not right now i'm like i'm on the fence with the new aquaman because of how terrible the last aquaman was but i'm still a jason momoa fan you know so you're absolutely He's a charismatic right charismatic dude you're absolutely right it also will be interesting to see the rumors um are that uh cavill's going to be in a warhammer 40k there is that actually production. the latest rumor i heard is that he will be in the new james gunn universe but as clark kent somehow they're just or, trying to or trying even to, trying to bank some goodwill or maybe pa kent mm. anyway next carrie underwood american singer songwriter fashion designer and actress i'm gonna say i only know her for american idol singer i don't really know anything else about her but i know she made quite the impact on on country music that's about it yeah yeah um i think uh i want to say that she was I, I if i recall correctly i know i've seen her perform a couple times at the uh academy the acm the academy country music awards all oh, right because they do you out here a few of those are yeah and uh she was a presenter one year and uh, so she had like a lot more involvement than just I'm going to come out, sing a song and do whatever. Like she had like a song and like talk to people. And like um, I was in the building for like some of the warm up stuff, the the practice. So got to see a decent amount of performance. Uh, all right. Who do we have? Uh, oh, next. Andrew Garfield, British American actor. Again, another superhero. You know, I I did not like his Spider-Man portrayal because he was too cool. Um, I can chime in on that now. I didn't watch all of the second. I got through all of the first one and part of the second one. Okay, so the first one is the lizard, right? And the second one yep. is uh, Sandman, Shocker, and somebody else. Or am I confusing? Uh, it, it, I definitely saw uh, like uh, Electro, uh, Born. Um, doesn't it have? Uh, it's got Harry in it. Does Harry become? Because uh, I didn't get to the part where he. Oh like, yeah, yeah, Demo Goblin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like I assume he is because of the way they were setting him up. Yeah. But I was going to say, I am not entirely basing my my like of him anymore because of those films. Because he's done some other things that have actually been um, decent. Better. Yeah, decent work uh, showing his personality. I think, I think the one that I saw where I was like, oh, wow, he's actually 
he's actually really swinging out there is the eyes of Tammy Faye. And it was the documentary slash biopic about Tammy Faye and that whole um, uh, uh, televangelist thing. He was, yeah, he was really good. (laughs) It was like, wow. That's not the TV show he did, right? No, I think it was a movie. I think it was a movie. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, he did, he did some TV show recently too, that he got a bunch of accolades for that. I thought like, I should watch that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So anyway, uh, your thoughts on Spider-Man and his performance. So like, I I mean, I agree. Like I don't think it was weird because it was almost like a less sympathetic portrayal like a, of Spider-Man. Cause like Spider-Man's got like, you know, every time they kill uncle Ben, right. They're like, Ooh, we need some goodwill for this guy being a Spider-Man. Like, kill uncle Ben. <laughs> so, they managed to kill uncle Ben and make him kind of a dick. Like, you know, you get that he's grieving or whatever, but like he's, you got superpowers. You're super, you're just going to like beating random dudes up until you find the right dude. Not only that, though, like but it I, felt it felt less. But see, you authentic. You are talking about the character. I'm talking about the movie itself, where, you know, in the sense of like all those glamour shots, all those like slow motion scenes, and I'm like, okay, these are not Spider Man. Well, he also like immediately lost his secret identity too, That's which true. at least took a little while. Which felt like you know, and then they went completely the other way in the Marvel portrayal, where he's like, you know, terrified of losing his secret identity which i remember it was a big deal for him i thought in the rest of the kind of comic story i didn't read a lot of the comics but like it it seemed to be like he really needed being in his position he was in to like maintain a secret identity i mean the first spider-man with toby never i think he went three movies <laughs> yeah well like i mean he had like a couple people figured out like harry figured it out yeah, or, yeah. but like that was it like he wasn't like fully revealed yeah you know? but uh but no but i, I, I like the the, they did a good job with, I, with the I lizard. I agree with what you're saying, though. They did a really good job with the lizard, but I was oh, he was great. Yeah, I was too distracted by how they kept treating this this Peter Parker Spider Man. Like again, with with the you know that the the skateboarding scene. I mean, so unnecessary. He was never the nerd. He wasn't. Yeah, he was never there. He was too. He was like, cool. He was like hit. they were trying to be like he's smart at science and therefore he's a nerd. But it was like no, no, no. Like he never got like. He got bullied, but it was like inauthentic. Like he stood up for some kid. Yeah, no, no. Like he wasn't the kid getting picked on. Yeah, he was too cool to be Peter Parker. He was. 39 years old, huh? Hmm. Although, again, I still uh, appreciate his uh, appearance in the Marvel Spider-Man. Oh, no, that was, that was fantastic. Their that, interaction together. That was. They need to make a whole movie just out of those three. That was fantastic. Into the Spider-Verse live action go. All right, next up we have uh, Lupita Nyong'o, a Mexican-born, Kenyan-American, Academy Award-winning actress. Right? I I was very surprised to see the uh, (laughs) Mexican-born part. Because, you know, like, so growing up Latino, you see indigenous black people in your home countries. But you mm-hmm. can tell, like, these are Caribbean, these are Latino uh, blacks, not, like... Native, like Native, Native American. Um, na- Native dark, African yeah. black, right? So that's why that's why it surprised me, because I'm like, okay, no, I would have... I would have... I wouldn't have picked... You know, I wouldn't have pictured that as part of her background. But go on. I mean, to be fair, I would have never guessed it either. But it makes her uh, performance in the second Black Panther make a lot more sense where she's like a spy she like does a blend in perfectly talk to the, the you know she's in mexico talking to them oh she's like Spanish? Knows yeah oh sh- okay now you've spoiled that movie for me gabe i thought you, <laughs> i can't remember, so you saw it i haven't seen it no but go on go on oh, i'm very bad. excited no, no i'm very excited. she speaks spanish 
fluently apparently. You know she's a spy from the first movie because they tell her they tell you that she's yeah, she's yeah. a spy and infiltrator. But like she speaks Spanish like perfectly, and I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, okay. Not that you can't learn that, but like, but like you're like, ah, it makes sense now. It all it's all coming together. But yeah, obviously, I think I mean I have I I've, I think I've only seen her in the Marvel movies. I remember seeing her in Us, the Jordan Peele movie, and I believe. I believe Twelve Years a Slave. I think was the other one that I she saw. is in that. Yeah, I think those are the only the only like movies that I remember seeing her in. But uh, but yeah, no, she's a wonderful actress. That's that, again, like I, now I can't wait to see Wakanda Forever to to hear her speak Spanish, just so I can judge her accent. <laughs> like, I'll, I want. We'll have to do a follow up. I want to know what you think of her accent. Oh, definitely. Waiting for Disney Plus to release Wakanda Forever. I think it's February, uh, like February 1st or something. Oh, it's right around, around the corner then. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Lastly, for our births is uh, Lily Sobieski, uh, American film and television actress. Okay. Here's a weird thing about Lily Sobieski, right? She, when she was young, dude, she was in everything, like Deep Impact. Every time I looked at her, and I don't know if you're familiar um, with the actress Helen Hunt. Yeah. I always, always saw her and was like, why does she look like a young Helen Hunt? <laughs> Which, again, <laughs> nothing to do with anything that we're talking about right now. But, um, but yeah, I remember. Well, there's a, there's but, a, if you Google, there's a celebrity death match between her and Helen Hunt. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I so I was I was watching her when she first started out, and I rem the first movie I remember her from is Deep Impact. Then I remember she did the Joan of Arc film where she played Joan of Arc. It was a film or it was a a miniseries. I remember that. Then I remember she did a movie with like uh, Josh Hartnett, I believe. And then I think she just to me anyway, she kind of fell off the map. I think she started doing TV or just not as much work, to be honest with you. It looks that way. So, like, just in the quick overview, not digging, it, it, you know, you see 1999, Never Been Kissed, 1999, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, she was in that. Okay. Oh, they, they jumped to 98 in the line for some reason for Deep Impact because Deep Impact was before. Joan of Arc movie, 1999. The cover of that I remember seeing frequently. Yes, exactly. In, like, movie stores. Uh, 2001 Joyride, it looks like Paul Walker. Yes, I remember Joyride. Okay. And then the last one they have kind of in the brief synopsis here is The Glass House, 2001. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, she was a really good actress. Yeah, and, and, prolific. And, like, uh, multiple movies a year. She must have quit to do something else, huh? Because it, yeah. like, it isn't like she was kicked out of the business. I feel like she, maybe she just she just stopped. Yeah, the next thing you see is, like, 2008, she was in... Uh, a Dungeon Siege movie with Jason Statham in The Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, some direct-to-video movie, Night Train. Oh, look at this. Um, 2016, Sobieski confirmed I don't do movie stuff anymore, commenting on the reasons for her early retirement. Uh, she said, I'm just focused on my kids. I think that's mainly why I stopped. Also, 90% of acting roles involve so much sexual stuff with other people, and I don't want to do that. Good for her. I mean, good for her that she was able to like uh, quit. Yeah, the, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I got my money. Goodbye. Yeah, I always liked her. I always like again the movies that I saw her in. I thought they were always good. 
Uh, all right, moving on to deaths. <clears throat> you were right. We do have a few interesting ones. Oh. And you told me that I had some good ones. Oh. And I didn't know because I didn't recognize the names offhand. Oh, no, no. I, I picked some ones for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these, these are good. So we're going to start with the quickest one here with uh, Otto uh, Mesmer, uh, American cartoonist, uh, born in 1892, uh, died from a heart attack at Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey, on October 28th of 1983 at 91. Good for him. Um, cartoonist known for his work on Felix the Cat cartoons, uh, animated and the comic strip. I I never did the comic strip, but I remember watching Felix the Cat the movie once. I know I've talked about like when I would miss school in that noon TV show on Fox, movie show on Fox where I first watched The Hobbit. That's where I saw the Felix the Cat movie, and I was like, what is this? And then I was very intrigued because the Felix the Cat that I grew up with, as in a, like, you know, like late teens, early 20s, um, was just Felix the Cat. He was yellow, black dots. But in that movie, they were going back to the old comic strip where he had his little magic bag, you know, where he would. And I was like, Pull what? whatever he needed out. Yeah, I was like, I, that was unfamiliar <laughs> to me until I saw that movie in the in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. And uh, but, yeah, I always thought it was uh, interesting. I thought Felix the Cat was a really like I don't know what Felix the Cat was, but I always thought he he his like if you saw him as a design, I always thought he was very captivating. I thought it was a very cool drawing of a cat. Yeah. Hang on. I think I remember the jingle or whatever. I don't know if this is from like the actual movie or if it's from like just cartoons or it was Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Whenever he gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. Yeah, see that? Never that was like heard the first that stanza. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard that. That but, just came to me now. I forgot. But but you know how <laughs> like that. you know how like in the nineties, if you watch Popeye, you were watching the, the second version of cartoons. You weren't watching the nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, which were like when you go back to those, you're like, holy crap, I was cheated. These, like, 90s, 80s Popeye were terrible. Because when you go back to the originals, you're like, they put so much more effort into them. Like, no wonder this was a popular character in the in the 50s. Because it was good. And then when you watch it again, you're like, they didn't even draw the background. That's just lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. there's some, uh, there's some. So there's is some is that all again, he is that all he did by the way? Just Felix the Cat was that all he was? That is about? what it said. He was no. That was the only the thing of note that came up in the wiki. Good for him. For his so, cartooning. I, I'm telling you, I see Felix the Cat, and again, I see him as a less as a comic strip, less as a as a TV character, and I honestly see him as a brand, dude. I can see Felix the Cat crossovers with like major brands and they would make really cool looking shoes or shirts or 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 designs based on collaborating with like he looks like that type of character to me he was something about the way he was drawn and the way he was designed just looks fancy to me that if you put the right collaboration with it he would make like fan, i don't want to say gucci but like he would make fantastic x brand because of that collaboration he just looks like he would fit into a very cool, young, hip, urban, like, uh, you know, demographic. Yeah, he started, it looks like um, he was hired uh, by director Earl Hurd of Paramount Screen Magazine for a cartoon short that would accompany a feature film. He gave the project to Mesmer, whose end result, Feline Follies, starred Master Tom, a black cat who was the prototype for Felix. So, like, that was, like, oh, wow. one of his earliest things. And then it developed into uh, Felix. It says Felix the Cat was the first cartoon character created and developed for the screen. Oh. Um, oh, and it predates Mickey, huh? Because uh, Mickey, yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. 
as well as the first to become a licensed mass merchandised character. Both the design and his unique character were highly influential. Sullivan took the credit for Felix, uh, and though Mesmer directed and was the lead animator on all of the episodes he appeared in, Sullivan's name was the only on-screen credit that appeared in them. Mesmer also oversaw the direction of the Felix newspaper strip, during doing most of the pencils and inks on the strip until 1954. Wow. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fantastic. Like, I think that's because like, I love I love Catwoman and Hobbs, but there's a message yeah. there and something I'm following. I don't care what Felix has to say. No. I just need him to look a certain way, and he does. He nails You're... it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Christopher George, American actor, born 1931, um, died of a heart attack at age 52 in the late evening of November 28th, 1983. So I the reason you gave it to me is was his acting credit. One of his big things was the Rat Patrol, yep. where he was Sergeant Troy. Famously wearing the hat with the one, it's like an Australian hat oh. with the one side like pinned up. Christopher George was a Marine. Oh, I did not know that one. I did not know that either. I had no idea. Uh, George enlisted in the Marine Corps on October 13th, 1948 at Jacksonville, Florida at age 17. He lied about his age on his recruitment form by giving the year of his birth of 1929, which then stuck with him for most of his adult life. He attributed his enlistment uh, to being inspired by John Wayne saying, you know, he caused the enlistment of hundreds of kids in the Marines, and I was one of them. According to his military record at the National Personal Record Center, he attended boot camp at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island, South Carolina, and graduated with a meritorious promotion to private first class on December 31st, 1948. Damn! That means he was in... Our, our boy was a Marine. Not only that, though, but to get a meritorious promotion during boot camp, that's a, that's not an easy task. Is not nice. Yeah, so I was like, I saw that, and I was like, oh, I gotta mention it now. He gets, <laughs> he gets to be. I was gonna say he's not, he's not the only marine we're gonna talk about. Well, imagine that, Gabe. So it's like somebody's <laughs> been doing their homework. I have the honor today of speaking of two marines, David M. Shoup, American general, born 1904. David Monroe Shoup was a general uh, in the United States Marine Corps who was awarded the Medal of Honor in World War II served as the 22nd Commandant of the Marine Corps, and after retiring, became one of the most prominent critics of the Vietnam War. So, like, nothing but W's this guy's whole life. Right. <laughs> he was right the whole time. <laughs> uh, and, and he waited till he retired, like his proper, and then was like, boo. <laughs> boo, Vietnam, boo. <laughs> so I won't, I won't read the entire citation, because then I would feel obligated to stand and uh, pay attention. Uh, but uh, the snippet here, just so you get a, an idea of what he did. Uh, although severely shocked by an exploding enemy shell soon after landing at the pier and suffering from serious painful leg wound, which had become infected, Colonel Shoup fearlessly exposed himself to the terrific and relentless artillery, machine gun, and rifle fire from hostile shore emplacements. Rallying his hesitant troops by his own inspiring heroism, he gallantly led them across the fringing reefs to charge the heavily fortified island and reinforce our hard-pressed, thinly-held lines. You know... It's funny, and and again, like uh, you know, everybody has an opinion, but it's it's more common to become anti-war after you've been in war. Oh yeah, um, because you know what war can do and does, and and again, like it's common also to 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 continue and and be an advocate for it. But I think it's more common, though, when you've done it and then 
uh, two things happen, right? You see that the outcome is not worth the effort. And then you see how the people who do the actual work, the front line, does not get the treatment and recognition and benefits they deserve from the work that they did. I think that's, that's, that's two things that I walked away from. And, and again, look, I am not anti-war. I, I unfortunately believe that it's necessary in the world we live in. Um, it's a human condition. At this point, it is. But I am definitely, you know, all for the troops, right? Like, the, at the end of the day, without those fuckers getting out there, getting shot, getting limbs blown off, you don't have a victory, a defeat, or anything. Like, you literally haven't... Like, I, I forgot what General said. You can You can bomb a country for 50 years, but until boots hit the ground, you have not conquered that country or that land, you know? At the end of the day, those are the people that end up having to do all that. And I think that after you've you've witnessed it and everything, like I said, I'm not anti-war, but I definitely am more prone to asking more questions and understanding things a little bit better. Um, because at the end of the day, look, we, we were all part of the system. We all listened. We all did what we were supposed to do. That's what you sign up for. Like, literally, you can't go in there and then become a conscientious objector. That's fucking stupid. I hate people who do that. The fact is, you know what you signed up. Shut your mouth. Do your job. Unless it is, you know, a certain there's always a certain order that right. just unless is, there's a line that's yeah. being crossed. Although that 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 is, I mean, as conditioned as anyone can be like that. You are only supposed to obey lawful orders. Like, yeah, if you, exactly. If you pay attention lawful to the orders. Earth. Exactly. Um. And I think that's 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 the thing. Like, there is a difference between going in there and saying, "No, I'm a conscientious objector." No, you're not allowed to be because you knew it's called the military. It's not, it's not the the pillow fight. You know, like you're supposed. This is what your job is. You're literally signing up for this. Um, but I think you you can afterwards if you've done your job, you did your contract, you walked away. You you're allowed to do whatever you want after that. You can oh, be it's against also it. Not, it. As you said, it's not uncommon at all. Yeah. For people to come out and be like, no, it's not for anything you can do to stop this. Yeah, it's not for everybody. You know, it isn't. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Final comment on that is uh, it was in the uh, the uh, Tarwa Atoll that his uh, citation uh, happened. That is that his that that incident for his uh, Medal of Honor. Wow. So that's a significant. Um, that is a significant uh, location event. for <laughs> marine history. Damn. Yeah. Colonel, as a colonel, no less. Uh, all right, on to movies. First up, uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, that, directed, little, that little film, huh? That little indie film. Directed by Richard Markand, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. <clears throat> How do you think that one did at the box office? Return of the Jedi is the least favorite of mine. Of those original three, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but that's but, also not saying much for me. Like, yeah, I love all of them. But I was going to say, but because of the story they were telling, you kind of, if you were in on two, you you were definitely... They, they cliffhangered you for sure. Yeah, you were definitely going to watch three. I'm going to say $750 million. Inflation adjusted, it could well be. It, it got $475.1 million. Okay, I was a With a $42 million budget. $42 million? With inflation, that's eighty million, though, right? Right. Well, again, like these numbers would go way up if you look at stuff, but like I mean, they ten x to their money, which is pretty good at 
that level. But not a lot of CGI, right? All the Ewoks were were small. People. No, no, I mean a lot of practical <laughs> effects. You know, like if you see the behind the scenes stuff, you know, and of course they were shooting in crazy locations, like probably like I don't remember if they used the Tunisian desert again for Tatooine, but they probably did. Yeah, and then the forest, right? I mean, it was just yeah, California redwood trees. Yeah, I've been there. No, uh, uh, it's it, it is like it. it it's the first Star Wars movie that I owned. I still have my VHS copy of Return of the Jedi. And it, the weird story for that is that, like, I saw Star Wars at my aunt's house and was enthralled. The first one, episode, you know, four, New Hope. At some point for Christmas, they had the original, like, box set with the old artwork, the VHS box set, oh, all three. Nice. She gave me Return of the Jedi from their box set. Not the other two. I, <laughs> not the other two. She said, ah, this one's not as good. But, like, why would you break up the set? <laughs> That's some, what I don't get. Or maybe she found an extra one somewhere. I, I don't know, but I only ever got that one. And it was it was the thing in the, you know, I have it in the fucking slidey case that you got VHSs in. So this is an you know, 80s version. Artwork. Or, no, VHS would have been 90s, right? Probably. Yeah, it was like, you know, from, you know, the original run, though, of, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. of the movies. Not not the one where Skywalk or the, where Anakin now is, uh, has been superimposed into the... Uh, no, no, no. Not only not that, but not even the special edition where they, like, you know, CGI'd, where they came back and did the CGI yeah, that they okay. didn't have. Okay. Nope. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, War Games. Uh, released, uh, it was a, a, a Cannes Film Festival, uh, May 7th of 83, and then June 3rd, it got its release. So I, I, I'm curious, have you seen this movie? I absolutely have seen this movie. This you have? God this I have that. seen. <laughs> okay. All right. Only the best. Yeah, no, it seems um, like it. Damn it. Uh, okay, well, what do you think they did at the uh, at the box office? I feel like... The, so it was the 80s. War, you know, the the Cold War was... You the know, Cold War, yeah. fresh. So What's going on? I'll, I'll be generous and say $47 million. So its budget was $12 million because of their high-speed CGI, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. $124.6 box office. Wow. Matthew Broderick was bringing it. Damn. Popping. Popped off immediately. Um, of course, the quick synopsis is it's a, uh, uh, a story of a young hacker who accidentally hacks into the U.S. military supercomputer program to simulate and predict the nuclear war with the Soviet Union. So all the hijinks that ensue. Right, because if I remember it, it starts a game, right, where they do a... Yeah, would you like to play a game? Yeah, where, where they do a scenario of what if the what if there was new, a nuclear weapons being... And the computer is thinking that it's real. Yep. Uh, and reacting according and actually, and actually, like, setting things into place. And other countries mm-hmm. are about to react based on this computer simulation. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, as you said, uh, has Matthew Broderick, uh, Dabney Coleman, John Wood, and Ali Sheedy. Yeah, I only remember Matthew Broderick. Uh, honestly, me too. But like, I wasn't, you know, I wouldn't be as up on the actors either. To be fair. Nice. All right. Next, we have uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid, starring <laughs> Chuck Norris, David Carradine, and Barbara Carrera. No idea who she is, but definitely know the other two. Yep. April fifteenth release, nineteen eighty three. I've never seen this. I'm sure I have. I in the Latino culture, Chuck Norris is actually very well known and famous. That's fair, honestly. So I know I probably watched it based on that alone. 
and then I know based on our on one of our episodes about Texas Walker that this is the this is spinoff slash same character. He is well, he's McQuaid, so he's not Walker. No, but I, I wasn't. Isn't it connected somehow to Texas Walker? Well, he is a Texas Ranger. So J.J. McQuaid Norris is a former Marine and a Texas Ranger who prefers to work alone and carries a large forty-four Magnum revolver for a duty sidearm. Sounds like dirty. He lives dirty in an Harry, old, rundown house. What's that? Sounds like Dirty Harry, by the way. <laughs> I know, right? It was like Dirty Harry, Dirty Harry. The poor uh, man's Dirty uh, Harry. <laughs> um, he lives in an old, rundown house in the middle of nowhere with a pet wolf. So there's your title. Um, I mean, it was a five million dollar budget with a fifteen million dollar take. I. So, I mean, not great. So I'm telling you, I think this is somehow connected to Walker. I That's believe great. you. I just I. I don't know. Hang on, let's is, see here. In the in the cinema, in the in the universe, in the Chuck Norris universe from that from Walker, is he multiple people in his own universe? <laughs> I believe it. It's Chuck Norris. So look, why so, not? Yeah, like I remember we talked about the Walker Texas Ranger. Yep. And did he inspire that character? So from I think this it was inspired was by later. the film because both of them were were Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was it. I think it was like that's got to be it. They probably just redid the character. Like, look, you did a good job as that. Yeah. Let's make it a TV show. Okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. All right. <laughs> Drop All the right. wolf. Keep the revolver. <laughs> Actually, no. I think he drops a revolver and picks up martial arts. Okay. Also, but that's probably better for TV, you know? It's a little less over the top. Yeah, he does you beat do. beat people up. You can get away with more. He does do some impressive roundhouse kicks with, like, jeans and cowboy boots on. Just going to put it out there. Hey, it's like having a, t- a hand tied behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> Those are tight jeans. <laughs> uh, lastly, we have National Lampoon's Vacation. The first of the trilogy, right? Yeah. Directed by Harold uh, Ramis, starring Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. Released July 29th of 1983. Uh, it's the one that started it all. It tells the story of a family that goes on a cross-country trip to an amusement park as a hilari- uh, as hilarious hijinks uh, occur along the way. The screenplay was written by John Hughes on the basis of a short story, Vacation 58, which appeared in National Lampoon. Yeah, I remember this movie, I think. So remember, in the 80s, Chevy Chase was like the man, dude. Like between this, the Fletch movies, the, you know, like he was he was killing it. Um, I remember this film. I remember it being very funny. I still remember Wally World. Like that's where they were going. The, the highway scene, the pool scene, like... Chevy Chase was was made for that role, and then I remember I remember watching the European one. I remember watching the Christmas one, um, and the Vegas one. Like actually, so it's four technically, right? I think there's more than that. Hang on. And then it got remade. Remember with Etta Helms? I think it was Etta Helms that remade the Vacation one and like Christina Applegate. I think they rebooted it. I think there's seven total movies. Jesus. In the series. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I stopped it after Vegas. Vegas vacation. But yeah, there's only three that are 80s. And then after that, it kind of spreads out and you start to get big, big gaps in between. Okay. Okay. I've only seen Christmas Vacation, I think. Really? So you went to number... Is that three? That's three. And never went... Like, did you like? Christmas... I like it, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, though. It's like, it's a holiday movie. Like, you watch it because it's the holidays and because that's... It's a funny... It's a funny portrayal. But you never went. They're like, oh, I liked it. Let me go back and see Europe and uh, vacation. So the first time I saw it, 
I think I, it was one of those ones where like, I probably wasn't supposed to see it. Oh. Like my dad watched it with us for Christmas or it was, it was just on TV, you know, and it was a little too raunchy for the kids, according to my mom. So like there was no agency to go watch the others. And like, we just watched it this Christmas, actually. That was the Christmas movie. Everybody watched one hanging out. So I was like, oh yeah, I remember this <laughs> very formative scene with the fucking pool. <clears throat> yeah. For a young mind. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, budget of fifteen million. Box office of sixty-one point four. Not not bad at all. Uh, enough to keep them doing it. Apparently. Uh, all right. Quickly here, we'll do our first appearances. We have Warwick Davis for Return oh, of the Return Jedi. Of the Jedi, yeah. Yeah. You know, let, let's let's talk about an individual who who was able to take his literally his stature. And turn it into a career. I mean, a very successful career. Up until like literally now, the Willow Still TV doing show. Because <laughs> he did Return of the Jedi. He does Willow. He does uh, Leprechaun. You know, uh, there was like, ten years ago he like he did his comeback with like Ricky Gervais and Life is Short. Like, this is a dude who never took it so serious. Uh, understood where he was in life he was in an idiot abroad i remember that now he was yeah um yeah no like like that's um that's this is that's an individual who like literally understood the harry potter he was in those oh that's right shit like you know the dude has kept just busy enough to to stay in the limelight um and again never almost never be typecast in a sense you know like like you look at and you know rest in peace Vern Troyer, but you look at him and he was like he never got out of that, you know. I mean, a lot of his work. I mean, he played characters that were in costumes, so like you could be anything, and it was really just about can you can you do the thing we need you to do? Yeah. So like a lot of stuff you wouldn't, you know, he made appearances that you wouldn't see even within. So like obviously, as beloved as he is in Star Wars, he's been in like every Star Wars movie. He was in Rogue One. Oh wow. <laughs> Like so, like they hide him all over the place. Like he doesn't just play who the heck he is. Like you saw him in uh, uh, in the Phantom Menace in the crowd, like literally just in clothes. Like mm-hmm. he was in the audience, and like you know they they show him. Like that was one of the few times like he you saw him without a whole getup or like crazy makeup. But like they put him in. Like, he was in Solo. <laughs> he was in Rise of Skywalker. Um, he's like he's been in a, almost every Star Wars. <laughs> Good for him, dude. And look at him now. He's headlining a TV show. He grew up for it, like with it. Like he was literally a kid in Return of the Jedi. Um, There was a cool picture that came across my timeline on on Facebook that was like from a Star Wars fan page that shows him with like all of the action figures from it. Oh, really? Like he was involved. So he has like all he has the Millennium Falcon. He had the Millennium Falcon and the action figures. You know, you could store them in it. Every kid's dream. Nice. But yeah, yeah. He he made a he made a heck of a a run out of that. I still need to, I gotta I gotta watch Will. I still I've, I'm so backlogged on TV. Yeah no no you'll get there, Gabe. 2023 you'll get there. All right, uh, Matthew Broderick. Hey, Max Duggan returns. So not War Games. No. So that same year he has his debut and he has War Games. Yep. Damn, Matthew Broderick. And then he still has Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 1980s. Oof. Spoiler alert. Right? Um, 
also in Max Duggan Returns, Kiefer Sutherland. Again, uh, another 80s icon. I mean, mm-hmm. this this dude goes on to do The Lost Boys in 1980. Ooh, damn. And like, you know, 10 years ago, he was, uh, what, five seasons of 24? I know, right? That that one day took forever. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, that was kind of a cool gimmick for a TV show, though. I got to be honest. I so I I only watched the first season, and then I was like, okay, like the gimmick was enough. But I, was I like, get it. Yeah, I get it. It's cool. But yeah, yeah, you're right. That was a, that was a, that was new and different and interesting at the time. Yeah. Uh, we have Jim Carrey, All in Good Taste, filmed in 1981, but released in May of 1983. My first um my first exposure to him was a movie called Once Bitten. I don't know mm-hmm. when that came out. Um and then In Living Color. Once Bitten is in the eighties. But uh, it's mm-hmm. it's coming. It's coming. All right. Yeah. I remember <laughs> watching him in that and then in Living Color and he was just I mean, that show without him would have been great. With him, it was fantastic. He really was. I've seen clips. Yeah, no, he's incredible in that. Uh, okay, so 1980. Wow, 1983. John Cusack, class. Oh, another 80s icon. Jesus, dude. Like between. We're all hitting. Right, right, right. Like that first wave of 83. Like, if you think, if you look him up, dude, how many movies does he have in 80, in the 80s? You know what's funny? Um, today I was at the secondhand store and the american books aisle because you know there's enough of them and i'm walking and i always go there just to see what like book american english books they can steal for that other people because they're like a dollar or 50 cents and high fidelity was there i was like oh i'm taking that with me all right john cusack 1983 lastly we have a chris elliott liana chris elliott is a funny funny actor I, uh, there was a show in the, I want to say the early nineties, uh, where he plays a 30 year old paper boy. Oh my God. What would like life? I forget. Get a life. Get a life. Yeah. Thank you. He was great in that. He was phenomenal in, in cabin boy. And the latest thing he did was like Shit's Creek, you know, like a couple years ago. Um, that's one of those dudes when you put him in a movie, he's just going to steal the scene. Like he's just very very good at what he does yeah he's uh he's he's incredibly uh funny in his in his moment and again that was one of the people that i was like i don't know the name and i was like i know who this is as soon as you see his face you're <laughs> like, like i know i recognize this guy he's he been that, in a bunch of things I've yeah seen. he has that face he's never gonna be a leading man he's never gonna be, gonna be a love interest but he's gonna be in that movie <laughs> like he's gonna be memorable he's gonna be in it he's gonna be memorable that that's chris elliott's life that's that's literally it all right. Uh, with that, we're going to save uh, something old and something new for next week. And thanks for listening. Find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram, and we'll see you next week. Oh, and Gabe, we might have a special guest next week in studio. I... Oh, exciting. Tune yeah. in. Tune in. See you next week. <laughs>